everybody, what's up? It's Chase, your friend. Happy to be in yours again today and excited to bring you another episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live. My guest today is Ari Mizell. Ari's an author, speaker, coach, and the creator of Less Doing More Living. And if you're like, okay, I'm curious, you got my, you hooked me. What is that? It's a set of practices and principles that Ari's designed to help those of us who feel overwhelmed become more effective. And frankly, I know very few people I can probably name them on one hand who, who don't feel overwhelmed, which is one of the reasons that I wanted to bring Ari on the show. Now, this particular show, what we're doing here today is um, we had uh, Ari in the Creative Live Studios and we recorded an amazing class with him. And I wanted to share just a couple of the pieces of this class, uh, which is ultimately a deep dive on how to identify uh, solutions to this overwhelm. Now, we all know that this world is fast paced, right? We, if you're like me, there's never enough time to do all the things you want. I've written lots of blog posts. I can't even count the number of podcasts I've recorded about this kind of stuff and, or videos that I've made. And I mean, there's even a section, entire section of my book, creative calling about time, because when it comes to pursuing the things that we love in life, we have to create time for those things. And, uh, and I say active, I say create time because it's an active process. Time doesn't just happen. And so this conversation, or rather this, um, this teaching, if you will, from Ari is specifically a deep dive into how to identify which things in your life are monopolizing your time and then how to build strategies around making those tasks less time consuming, allowing you to have more times for the things that you love. Now, um, we sort of book it out into, or, or break it out rather into three separate sections. One is self-tracking and the manual of you. This is basically how to um, run an audit, if you will. The second is structuring your creative self. Obviously there that the ability to uh, put structure around your creativity is important. I used to think that structure was a waste of time. And suddenly after 10 years, I realized that a little bit of structure around my creativity was the thing that unlocked it. And then uh, the third bit we go into here with Ari is how to take back the time that we have lost or that it, we, we freely give rather to so many things in our lives that aren't moving our biggest goals forward. Now, you know, this is this, this podcast today is 68 minutes with Ari and it's, it's an idea to get some ideas flowing about how to optimize all this stuff. If this resonates with you, I want to of course recommend you check out this class on creative live. It's like, I don't know, uh, eight hours or something like this. So just consider this a primer. It is whole and complete in and of itself in that it, um, deals with all these subjects I'm sharing with you. But it's such, I mean, 11,000 or 12,000 students, 100% positive reviews. Um, and so, again, it was motivating for me because time is so precious. And if one thing, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic right now, uh, time has taken an entirely new meeting for me. Uh, and so I wanted to seek out some um, really smart thinkers on this topic and bring them to you. And that's what this conversation with Ari is today. So I'm going to get out of my, uh, the, the way here. I'm going to get out of your way. I'm standing currently between you and Ari and all this good stuff I've been talking about. So before we do just a super quick word from our sponsor, and then 
turning you loose how to save and manifest the best possible use of your time you can. Hey, before we get into today's episode, I've got something to share. Life isn't about finding fulfillment and success. It's about creating it. To that end, I've got a new book out and it's called Creative Calling. It became an instant bestseller when it was released earlier this September. And for those of you listening to the podcast, if you dig this podcast, then this book is the perfect companion. I mean perfect because it takes the ideas we discuss here on the show and it organizes them. It takes my life of learning and studying creativity, talking to hundreds of the world's top creators in so many disciplines, and it organizes these ideas in a really clever and very practical way that I know will help you take action in pursuit of your dreams. So my ask is that you pick up a copy or two, or heck, 10. I'm not trying to be coy, but here's why. This is not about a transaction. This is about a message and a movement. You see, creativity is a force inside of every person such that when it's unleashed, it transforms our lives and delivers vitality to everything we do. It's my belief that establishing a daily practice around creativity is therefore our most valuable and urgent task. It's as important to our well-being as exercise and nutrition. Now, I've put everything I have into this book, everything. It's been 10 years in the making. Um, Just a couple words here from Richard Branson. He said, if you want to focus on creating amazing experiences, creating amazing businesses and relationships, Chase's book, Creative Calling, is an engaging guide to doing just that. Brene Brown said, Chase's experiences and his commitment to creating make him the perfect guide as we set out on our own adventures to learn how creativity has the power to change everything. Now, those reviews are just the tip of the iceberg, and you can read a couple hundred other five-star reviews on Amazon. But again, this isn't just about buying the book. It's about unleashing our most powerful force, our creativity. And I believe it's super important that as a community, we rally around ideas that we believe in. And so picking up a copy of Creative Calling, and more importantly, being a messenger for spreading this message, this is my ask of you. So thanks very much. And now let's get into today's show. Welcome to The Art of Less Doing. I'm Ari Mizell. Thank you all for being here and thank you everyone for watching live throughout the world. This is a very humbling experience for me and I'm just really excited to be sharing this information with you. If I look like I'm smiling a little more than I should be, it's just because I can't contain myself. So, uh, you were already asked, what is your biggest productivity, your greatest productivity challenge? And that's something that I want you to sort of keep in mind as we go throughout this seminar. Because The challenges to productivity that different people face can come from any walk of life. It can be because you simply don't have the time, because it's a matter of money, because you have a health problem, because you have family and you have responsibilities. All sorts of things affect your productivity. So then the other thing to keep in mind throughout this is a sort of overarching principle that I have for dealing with any productivity challenge, any health problem, any, any challenge really. And that is to optimize, automate, and outsource. Now, I'm going to be talking about all, those three, all three of those things throughout this seminar, and outsourcing is obviously a big thing, virtual assistants and whatnot, but if you outsource an inefficient task, it doesn't make it more efficient, and eventually that canal will back up. So you have to optimize first. And what does that really mean? It means taking a really hard look at what the issue is and breaking it down to its most bite-sized chunks, to the, the bare bones, cutting all the fat, and really optimizing it. 
The second thing is to automate. And when we're automating, it's of the mindset of set it and forget it. So things that we can put in place, whether it's software or people or different processes, where they just happen and we don't have to think about it. And then the third part, if there's anything left over, is outsourcing. And that's when we look at sending things to specialists or generalists to completely get them off our plates. So keep that, that sort of framework in mind, that optimize, automate, outsource, and in that order. So a lot of you talked about having too much clutter and not being able to focus. There's just too much going on. So the first thing I want to tell everyone is that you're being too hard on yourselves. <laughs> you should not be expected to be able to handle all the things that happen in life nowadays. We have not evolved as quickly as technology has. It's just not reasonable to think that you could possibly keep up with all of the responsibilities you have, whether it's who you have to talk to, the things you have to read, the people you have to call, the work you have to do. So that's the first thing. So very quickly, hopefully you don't have to think about this, try to answer this question, which is, what did you have for breakfast this morning? <laughs> when I usually do these seminars, there's one or two people who don't remember, which I always find kind of funny. But most of you should be able to answer that question. Now try this question. How many emails did you send last Tuesday? Probably none of you can answer that question unless it was zero for some reason because you were on a, uh, a silent retreat. So all of you probably sent emails last Tuesday. All of you probably slept and ate and walked and talked to people and did all sorts of things that you were completely unaware of because there's just too much information going on in our lives. And you may be asking, why is that relevant? Well, I'll show you, but the truth is, is it doesn't matter if it's relevant or not because we can find these things out and by finding them out, that's when we can start to that, that whole process of optimizing. So there are nine fundamentals to the art of life doing and we're gonna be going through uh, about half of them today. And the first one is the 80-20 rule. So the 80-20 rule is a 107-year-old economic principle. It's obviously not my creation. Uh, a uh, Italian economist noticed that 20% of the pea pods in his garden were producing 80% of the peas and uh, turned that into an entire principle of resource allocation. <laughs> so on a more realistic level, basically you could say that 80% of your income might come from 20% of your projects. Conversely, 80% of your complaints might come from 20% of your clients. Hopefully not. I actually use 80-20 in a different way. And you're going to see throughout this that there may be concepts that you initially think you're familiar with, and then you'll see that I kind of turn them on their heads. So for me, 80-20 is a reminder to constantly be self-tracking. Everything we do nowadays can be tracked, and not in the big brother sense, in the quantified self sense. So whether it's the number of emails you send or things like tracking visual activity, there's a program called Rescue Time. Very basic program, but it'll sit on your computer and it'll just run in the background and it'll see, it'll see how you're using your computer resources. So after a week or so, you can see that you've spent several hours on Facebook or several hours on Excel, or that you get the majority of your emails between 11.30 in the morning and one o'clock in the afternoon. We can start to use that data to more effectively plan our days, for instance. Because if you're getting 80% of your emails in a two hour period of the day, there's no reason for you to be checking email all day, for instance. You can also learn that Tuesday might be your most productive day for one reason or another. So those things just sit in the background and they run. So even if you didn't find out anything about them, it's almost not important because 
you don't know if it's going to be relevant or not. I am not a data scientist, although I've certainly used data to help overcome the illness that I had, and my daily activity is all about data. But I'm not a data scientist. However, I feel that if you collect enough data, something will pop, basically, and you'll be able to act on it. We can track physical activity, whether it's the Fitbit, uh, which so many people are familiar with, or uh, a Withings connected body scale, or iPhone apps like Thrive that will tell you about your meals and how they're making you feel. Incidentally, there's tons of food tracking apps. Thrive with a Y is a really great one because what it does is you take a picture of your food, you describe it, but then a little while later it'll ask you how you're feeling. So you can actually start to bring that self-awareness back and have a little bit of sense of cause and effect. So that's a really important thing is that awareness. With all this stuff going on, you could say, okay, it's stressful, it's overwhelming, but the truth is, is that what it leads to is a lack of self-awareness. And that's really where the problems start, because if you don't know what's causing things or what's improving things, it's really hard. And it's really, it's really hard to improve that, but then it's really easy to just sort of throw your hands up and say, well, there's just too much going on. So there's a program or there's a, a service that I love called I Done This. And I Done This is very simple. It sends you an email at the end of the day around 6 o'clock or so, and it says, what did you get done today? Not how are you feeling or what are you eating, you know, what did you get done today? And you respond to the email. It's pretty simple. It takes about 30 seconds. It's so essential, in my opinion, to a, a productive day. And what it does that's so genius is that after about a week or so of using it, that email starts to change. And the email will come in, and it'll say, what did you get done today? Oh, and by the way, this is what you did yesterday. And it'll show your entries. And then the more you use it, it'll start to say things like, oh, and this is what you did three months ago. The day was this. Or this is what you did one year ago, the day was this. We have this tendency as humans to focus on the negative. <laughs> it's really easy to get through a day where you've been working nonstop and just think, I didn't get anything done today. This changes the game. Yes, Noel. So um, one of my biggest productivity problems that I didn't think about it until I start you know, sitting here thinking about it is that I'm not too sure if, I feel like my day is productive, you know, but then it's like sometimes I question myself, okay, did I really get that much done? So I think that is really going to help me if I get that email and I can sit down and say, okay, this is what I did. Yeah, so it's huge not only for that, but also in seeing where you've done things mm -hmm. before. So it actually can sort of trigger you to remember like, oh, yeah, not only did I, like, like I finished a project today, but you only worked on it for half an hour, so you don't feel like you did much. But then you get the reminder that you actually started that project three weeks ago, and now you've finally finished it. It's great. Kelly. Mm -hmm. Additional point is this really can end your day with a nice little bow, like, oh, great. Yes. Instead of doing the to-do list and thinking about, oh, all the things I have to do at the end of the day, which We're gonna get rid if of we that can do that today. earlier in the day and then end the day with feeling a sense of accomplishment, be a nice, much nicer, more pleasant way to end the day. Well, and, and maybe some of you have heard about a gratitude journal or, or the, the power of gratitude. It's kind of funny, actually. It, it sounds very sort of wishy-washy, but everybody from meditation gurus and, and yogis to Mark Devine of Seal Fit say that grat expressing gratitude and reminding yourself of the things that you've, uh, whether you're thankful for them or you just are happy that you got them done, it's so important to have that psychological unload at the end of the day that you'll see the benefits from it kind of immediately. Another thing that it does is it actually creates, if you go to the website once you've used it a while, it creates a word cloud a personal word cloud. So you can start to see the words that come up very often in your responses. 
And I've actually had a few clients figure out new careers because they happen to have all these words just coming up that they hadn't even thought about, but it was happening in their daily lives. So it's, it's, an, it's a simple thing, but it really is very, very powerful. So, so about I done this, does it have like a metric system that you, or is it just like a blog entry or? So you just respond to the email, but then they actually, if you go to the website, they have a calendar, um, mm -hmm. and you, so you can see entries that you've made. But also, when they bring back the things that you've accomplished before, it's not random. Oh, okay. It actually, they have an algorithm working that sort of brings things back that are relevant. And I don't know how they do it, but it's pretty amazing. Okay. So. Uh, it also works in teams. So if you actually have a small work team or uh, you know, startup, whatever, you can actually share amongst each other what you got done that day, which actually is pretty interesting as well. Asal? I've been using it for about a month. Oh. I didn't realize that it's a, I didn't pay attention to the email, so I should look at <laughs> <laughs> what I got last week and last month. But the word cloud is pretty neat, and it has an impact graph as well. Yes. So it's also, there is the idea of uh, sort of staying consistent. You know, so if you get that email and it's like you've, you know, this is your 1600th entry. You know, I think I had my 1637th entry the other day. Like that's pretty cool. I've I haven't missed a day in um, what you know several years now. <laughs> it's pretty cool. So it's just like one basic step in starting to bring back that awareness. All of this stuff begins to do that because we just get more and more information that we didn't have previously. And what that does is a very important skill, is it allows you to start to begin to determine the difference between the essential and the optional. And this is very important, especially for all of you who say that you're overwhelmed and there's just too much coming at you. A lot of people have trouble saying no, and there's a lot of people who just have trouble differentiating what they have to do and what they want to do, because it all ends up being noise. So the essential is pretty straightforward. It's the stuff that you have to do. It's the stuff you have to read. You have to talk to this person. You have to call back that person. You have to do these things. It's the essential. The optional is not junk. It's not the garbage. It's the things that you want to do, but only if you have the time. And the key is to be able to separate those things as effectively as possible so that the optional stuff that you want to do that's nagging at you doesn't get in the way of the stuff that you really have to do. And, and quite honestly, if you end up at the end of the day and you don't have time to do the optional, then you realize that that's actually okay because it didn't have to get done. A good example of this is email. I'm going to talk about email a little bit in a later segment, but you don't need folders in your email. There's actually been a lot of studies to show that you don't need multiple, multiple folders. You, in my opinion, need one, the, well, two the inbox, and the optional folder. And this is a very, very basic thing, but most email services offer filtering nowadays. Gmail is my personal preference, but most of them offer some sort of automatic filtering. If an email has the word unsubscribe in it, it should be automatically put into an optional folder. I don't care if it's a forward from your mother or your boss. If it has the word unsubscribe, it is most likely not an essential thing or part of your day. And again, it's not junk. You can go look at that optional folder at the end of the day, but the point is that while you may get 400 emails in a day, hopefully you know, a couple hundred of them will automatically be put in that optional folder, and you can focus on what you need to. And then once you switch into optional mode, knowing that it's optional mode, you can go through things a lot quicker, and knowing that you don't have to provide as much detail and much attention. But that's one example is email. It, it applies to so many other things. The other thing that it allows you to do once you start to regain that awareness and track this stuff 
is something that I call creating the manual view. So all of you go through processes on a daily basis, uh, whether it is uh, paying a bill or shopping or whatever you might do. There, there are the things that you do, uh, and whether it's daily or weekly or, or monthly, but there are these processes that we go through. So the problem is, is that many people start to get into this mindset that the things that they do can only be done by them. <laughs> uh, and the truth is that about 95% of the things that you do on a regular basis can be done by other people or other things. It's that 5% that only you can do that is your unique talent that in some cases is being obscured by that other stuff that you think that you're the only one who can do. It's the, that 5% that we want to be able to focus on and make that 100% of our time. And that 5% may be your unique ability to curate content. It may be your unique ability to uh, compose a photograph or a piece of art. But we need to be able to get a lot of that other stuff off our plates. And I know a lot of freelancers are tuning in here to Creative Live, and a lot of you are probably control freaks, as I was. It's very hard to let go of these processes. The first step in doing that is to actually identify them. So pay bill is a good example. Everybody has to pay bills. So if I were to give one of you a bill right now and say pay it, none of you, I hope, would have any idea how to do that uh, unless you knew what my bank accounts were or where I like to, you know, how I like to pay people or timing and all that stuff. So the first time I did this, uh, it was 27 steps. So that was literally like, and I mean on a very granular level when you look at these processes, very, very granular. So it starts with go to the Bank of America website and then log in with this username and password and then go to the payee uh, tab and if the payee does exist, then here's the payee. If they don't, then add them with this process so it's already a tree. And then you have to scan the, the bill that came in, if it came in by paper, which hopefully it didn't. Uh, so there's all these things. It was 27 steps to pay a bill. So I looked at that. And immediately, I could see and, and, and look at it and say, OK, well, step 13 and 14, there's a gap there. That doesn't make sense. I get that. And oh, 18 and 19 are redundant. I can find those. So after you know, several minutes of looking at that, I could immediately take that 27 steps down to 22. And I was really excited because I had basically optimized the process by 25%. So then I took a harder look at it. And part of this has to do with you know, figuring out sometimes solutions that don't exist or sometimes realizing that they actually do. But I realized that a lot of those steps could be completely automated. You know, so if I scanned a document to this folder, then it could automatically be uploaded to Dropbox and turned into this. And there's all sorts of automation. So I got those 22 steps down to 18. So right away, that's great. I was already happy. I was already moving along the process, and it was, uh, it was working. Then I sent it to a virtual assistant. And that's where things got really interesting. So uh, at the time, that was a virtual assistant in a, another country. And there was, you know, there was always going to be differences in the way that people do things, whether they're in the seat next to you or certainly in a different country. So I got a response back, and I said, well, you know, I'm sorry, sir, but I don't understand how you got from step eight to nine. And uh, the password at step three didn't work, and there were all these problems. So it was like debugging. You know, if any of you have had to work with software, you're basically debugging it until it works. Did that a few times with a, a couple different people and got it down to a nine-step process. 
So that 27th step process is now, and realist, really, because this is how I use it now, it's a nine-step process that is so perfect and so error-proof that it has been executed over 300 times by at least 200 different people without any problems. That's amazing. You know, that, that's 20, 30 minutes of my, of my day every day probably with paying bills. And now it's completely out of my life. I don't have to think about it at all. So I have 53 processes now that I have all written down in, different, in, a, in an Evernote notebook, which we're going to talk about Evernote too. But everything from editing a podcast to uh, posting that podcast and, and putting up blog posts. So for example, I, I have a blog, of course, and I, I, I do a lot of blogging and social media stuff and all that, but I don't do it myself necessarily. I do what I have to do, which is curating the content. So it's still my voice, but why should I have to deal with all the other stuff? So uh, I think uh, you were saying about sharing information, right? Part of the, the problem that you guys talk about, about not being able to focus, is that a lot of those things that you're losing focus on are things that you don't have to be doing, <laughs> basically. Uh, and as technology gets better and better, a lot of this stuff can be automated completely. So yeah, okay, so paying a bill, posting a, a blog post, doing research, uh, planning a trip. You know, so you break down like what it requires to plan a travel or plan travel, and it's these requirements and these rough dates, and these are the things that you want to do. And so I'd actually really be curious if any of you can think of a process that you guys go through on a regular basis. Anybody? For paying bills, I try to auto pay as much as possible. Sure. So but, just set up auto pay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, but so what? But things that you kind of do on a regular basis that we'll start with something that's repetitive, actually. So yeah. I download them, I have to edit them, and have to outport, export them into certain files. So that's a perfect example. So I, I, you probably know that there's ways to automate some of that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> I'd love to hear from people in the chat rooms if they've had any. We're asking them right now. Okay, great. If there's <laughs> any processes. It. <laughs> uh, it, it, this is one of the things that I get really obsessive about, actually, is working on those processes with people because sometimes it just requires having a just a different point of view, honestly. And it's good. Even if you weren't going to automate them or automate or outsource them or anything like that, it's still good to write these things down because commercial pilots and surgeons use checklists, you know, so that they don't miss things. And when we get in these habits and we get in these grooves, sometimes that's a good thing to sort of, sort of get in the groove, but sometimes it can be a bad thing because you really start to just lose touch with what you're actually doing. So the editing of the photos is a great one because. You're obviously a photographer, so you're a creative person, and you should be able to focus on the creative stuff, not necessarily actually sorting and editing and high res, low res, watermarking, right? All that stuff. All those things. All those things. So um, that's a, that's a, those are really good ones that make it so that you can focus on the things that you actually want. Yes. I would say like writing um, blog posts, and um, as far as like when I sit down to write it, even my steps for me, like the first thing I do is come up with the ending or main point, the idea those sort of things, so I'm not sitting down thinking, okay, well, where do I start? So kind of automating that. That's not really automating that. It's kind of setting up a process, right? No, that, that, that counts. Actually, I mean, as I said, we're starting with optimization. Mm -hmm. So if you, you know, especially for something like that, for writing a blog post, it's very easy to just, like, every time sit down and do it and do it differently and not really have a method. Um, especially if you're not a writer, like I, I don't, I have a blog obviously, but I don't think I'm a particularly uh, talented writer. I just sort of write what's in my head. Uh, so 
but I've had to sort of create a method for myself, you know, and, and, and real writers have all sorts of systems that they use and, you know, they, they have like their setting and their, the, the drink that they have to have, and, you know, so I think like Tim Ferriss uh, talks about how he'll, he'll have like a glass of wine and a cup of your, actually this is kind of funny, I've read about this a couple times, so uh, he has a, a cup of, or a glass of wine and a cup of your mate tea, and then he listens to uh, like hardcore music, like death metal or something, and then he has a, a movie on mute, and then he writes. So that's, that's, a, that's a method. Um, that would like blow my mind out of my head. Uh, but yeah, so especially if you need to give some structure to something creative, and this is creative live, obviously, so especially with that stuff that's creative, we want to be able to focus on that stuff. We want to be able to sort of expand on the, that 5% that we're being creative about. So yes, if, as much as you can systematize the other stuff, that's great. But what's amazing is that once you, if you think about it, you're like, oh, there's no way that I can automate this and there's no way that I could outsource this. But if you start to optimize it and you write out that process, that's when you actually start to see that stuff. Do you want to hear a couple? I'd love to. Mine? So um, we have a lot of uh, repeat community members here in the chat room today. And Philip Belgium says, um, on, a re on a repetitive basis, he's taking notes on Creative Life courses. <laughs> so <laughs> it's about optimizing that. And then uh, Just Say Cheese says, I check Facebook and my email a million times a day. So okay. those are some of the repetitions. And then you have a couple more, right? Jasmine Powers does a lot of sales calls. Uh -huh. uh, and Robert, uh, food shopping and meal preparation. Oh, mm. great. OK, go. good. We got, <laughs> we got the whole gamut. OK. OK, so uh, for the, the first one was taking notes in Creative Live. Quite personally, uh, so I am a terrible note taker. I always have been my entire life, which may be why I wasn't such a great student. but. Uh, now I'm like, I'm very, very big on notes, and I'm going to talk about that a little later too. But for something like that, personally, I would probably either verbally record it and then have it transcribed by someone. Uh, or there's all sorts of really cool tools for taking notes. And one of them is called the LiveScribe pen. Uh, so if any of you heard of that, so it's, it's, like a, it's a real pen uh, with a, a special notepad that has these little dots on it so that the uh, pen knows where it is. And you can take notes, you can draw doodles, and you can do whatever you want, and it'll put it into the computer. But the live scribe also will record the audio of the room or whatever you're listening to. And then if you put the pen to paper on wherever the note was, it'll play the audio that was playing when you took that note. So that's really cool. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, you can have that stuff transcribed if you really wanted to. So there's certainly an efficiency that can take place there. Uh, and we're going to be covering so much information that I, I would be hard-pressed to be taking the amount of notes that you guys are taking. So that's a really great method. Um, checking email repetitively all day long and Facebook. So that's where something like rescue time comes in that we talked about before. Because if, you, if you're going to be checking email all day long, there's nothing inherently bad with that, actually, to be honest. The problem is, is that if it's going to distract you. If you, get, if you become like a Zen master with email, which I hope you do after this, uh, it's OK. And I, I legitimately probably check my email 30 times a day, which most people are really surprised to hear that, because you hear all sorts of productivity gurus talk about how they check their email once in the morning and once in the evening. And I want to tell you something right now. If you get an email from somebody that says at the bottom of it, I only check my email twice a day, so sorry if you don't get a response, they're lying to you. 
okay? I assure you that person is lying to you. Because the fact that they had that much email to begin with means that they're probably in, uh, into productivity and they're checking their email a lot more than twice a day. And that's not necessarily effective anyway. Because if you're checking it and you're dealing with it, that's fine. So the, the, the deal with the process there is you have to think about what are you actually doing when you're checking your email? Am I, am I reading it now? Am I responding to it? Am I archiving it? Like you actually can break that down and think, how do I respond to these situations? And write it down. Write down those steps, how you deal with that. And you can start to say, well, OK, I can see that if I do this and combine these, or if I do this, you know, if I, if I get an email at 8.50, or sorry, let's say 9.02 in the morning, and another one at 9.14, and then another one at 9.37, and then another one at 9.52. That's four emails spread out over an hour. Is there really a benefit to checking it four times in an hour, or is it OK to just take those last 10 minutes of the hour to check those emails? So, those are the things you, you can really start to learn and create that awareness again. You know, I, I, I arrived here in San Francisco yesterday to prepare for this seminar, and Sundays there's just not a lot of emails, so I don't have to be checking my phone as much on a Sunday. It's okay to, to, to realize those things. Uh, the third one was uh, before the food. There was what? So the other uh, questions were sales calls and then meal preparation. Uh, I and think planning, we'll right? Yeah, okay. planning. <laughs> great. So those are, those are great ones. So the uh, sales calls is a good one. A lot of people make sales calls, and it's one of those things that people do try to outsource sometimes. They try to, to figure out systems. I've talked to so many salespeople about this, and you would be amazed at how many of them don't take notes on their calls uh, and don't e even measure the outcome. You know, it's really easy to say, like, okay, I did this call, and this person said no. Okay, and I did this call, and this person said, call me back, and this person said, this call, and they said, yes. But that alone is, seems to be too much for some people to, to sort of get in their heads that they have to do. Uh, simply the outcome is great, but then you, of course, don't know what led to the outcome. And if you're selling a product and you have a script, there's a lot of metrics there that you can actually work on. It's pretty easy to kind of break that down and say, well, if I said, a better example is people, I'm sure all of you have seen landing pages for things online, whether it's for a book or for a video or something. And there are all sorts of websites like Optimizely and Unbounce, which help you test different uh, designs for landing pages. And it can be as simple as making this red or making the button say order now as opposed to saying download. You know, there's all those little things that affect the way that people actually go after stuff. The same thing happens in phone calls. <laughs> Uh, whether you said good morning, you know, whether you said how are you. Certainly, I think if you mispronounce the person's name, name, that's probably something that, that would go against the call. But trying to figure out what those metrics are, uh, in your case, uh, or in, in, uh, in the case of the person asking about the sales calls, that's when you can actually start to, again, optimize those. So you can start to see, like, oh, if I say good morning, then 45% you know, of those calls, there's a closer on that. And, and the calls where I don't say good morning or I don't say hello in a particular way, you actually can really break out the phrases in the script that you're using. And while that may sound kind of mechanical in a way, it's actually really cool to get that kind of information on what you're doing. And again, making that sort of the 95% template, and then that 5% is really the pizzazz that you can sort of bring to it. Meal planning is an amazing one, that, and I'm really glad that, that was brought up. So I have three kids. My wife and I, we, we have every meal at home, I would say, pretty much. And meal planning is sort of a big thing. And 
one of the main reasons that people end up not cooking at home is that they're stressed about it and they, they don't want to get home at the end of the day and sort of scramble to get things together. So uh, you, you, I'm sure people have heard about people saying that when you go to the grocery store, you stick to the outside aisles or things like that. You actually can figure those kinds of things out. And you can think about the things that you use on a regular basis and the things that need to be fresh. And you really can plan those things out in advance and spend a Sunday, for instance, or not the whole Sunday, but a couple hours on a Sunday, really enjoying the process of planning the food that you're going to eat and breaking that down. Yes. Jeff is my partner. And when we moved in together, I said, I only go to the grocery store once a week. <laughs> so we sit down Sunday morning, and you plan that whole week because I'm only going once. And it works. That's great. And you stopped complaining about it. <laughs> it was much better than my previous system, which was show up at the grocery store a couple times a week and buy whatever looks good. Yes. Well, <laughs> there's merits to each. Yes. There's merits to each, but it, whatever works is really what's important. And that's, that's an absolutely great way to do it. And it's funny how Sunday ends up becoming like the meal day for a lot of people to, to get that done. Ed, when you had a question. Right? Oh, well, it's not really. Uh, I, guess I, I, I guess another part of it, it kind of relates to what you were saying, but basically um, there's a saying that like you're a product of your environment. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm always on the go, and but I like to keep my place clean. But just recently, but I've just been so busy that I, my place is a huge mess, and okay. it's like it's not a workable environment. And like when I'm working, like oh my god, like I have my clothes on the floor, and so I get distracted. And sometimes like when I'm cleaning up my dishes, like I get a phone call, and then I forget to wash the dishes, and then <laughs> so it's just I, I get distracted so easily, and then that's why I have like this huge mental clutter. I was just wondering if you have like any tips on like how to maintain your environment um, and uh, keep that clean. And Other than hiring a maid. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, so it, my, if my wife is watching this, she's going to laugh at this. But I actually think that folding laundry is kind of therapeutic. Her response would be that that's because you do it once a month. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, but I actually kind of get really obsessive about the dishwasher and stuff and getting as, like everything into one dishwasher. Uh, that's not necessarily a process that you'd have to write down because it might seem a little superfluous, but there's still a process there. You know, it's like, how do you, do you go through the house in a particular way? You know, do, do you start with the dishes and then you go to the laundry? Or do you do the laundry and then you come back and while that's doing it, you do the, the dishes? You know, so that's one of those things where it, is often better to sort of carve out a time when you do that. And Sundays work for that as well. Sundays end up being people's like sort of house day. You know? And it's OK, in some cases, to clean your house once a week uh, if you sort of know that that's going to be the case. And it doesn't mean that you're just letting things pile up all of the week long. But you actually start to get a method so that that Sunday, not only do you get things clean quicker, but you actually get them clean better. So then you end up having it sort of last longer. Does that sort of make sense? Ari, we actually have um, little Johnny is missing the gene in your in your system, uh, the attention to detail gene. <laughs> it's like, what if we don't have the attention to detail to even come up with the checklist or the procedure? So that and that's a that's a very fair point. Uh, and it's not so much attention to detail; it's the fact that we get into this sort of autopilot mode, which again, there's a good thing to that because you just sort of get things done without thinking about it, but. There's that idea of not being present, uh, which if anybody's ever taken yoga, you've probably heard that many times. But it, it really does apply. 
it's very easy to get overwhelmed when we're thinking about everything that we did wrong and everything that we didn't get done and then everything that we have to do and completely forgetting about where we are right now. And it's not, it's not so much attention to detail as that self-awareness. It really is. So what, you, what I try to push people to do is that you look at those processes and you literally go through it. You know, if you, whether you do a screencast of it or you simply just do this, write it down, do this, write it down. And it seems like it's overly obsessive, but the truth is, is that you just don't know what's happening until you actually write this stuff down. And Could they record it? Actually, one of our other, other chatters suggested recording it. Like if you're not a writer, if you're not a person yes. who makes lists, so you can just record it and, and maybe have someone else transcribe it for you. Well, and it's actually, they don't have to necessarily transcribe it. What you can do is record it and then play it for someone else and ask mm -hmm. them if they can do it. So that's the idea. It's not so much that you have to, the detail is very important, that granular level of detail is important, but it's not so much that I need you to get every tiny little detail. The point is that you need to describe it as if you were explaining it to someone who has no idea how to do it. Uh, and that's a challenge, not only for them, but for you. It's really about, being able to effectively delegate is about knowing what is required to perform a task. It's pretty much, it really does break down that simply. So again, I really want to make that clear. It's not about being attention to detail. It's not about being like so obsessive about getting everything right. It's about being able to explain it. Being a teacher, you know, you have to be able to explain this to someone else because whether it's someone else or some other thing, whether it's a computer or something, there are probably other parties that are better suited to do those things than you necessarily because we're not, we can't all do everything. So especially if it's someone who does those things on a regular basis um, and being able to describe it to somebody who has no idea how you do it is the skill. And you will grow from that. That's the, really the key thing. Noelle, you had a question, right? Yeah, so the point of having down the steps is for your self-awareness and yes. then to see if it can be delegated. Well, so optimized, automated, and outsourced. So okay. it, it depends on the task. You know, something like paying a bill, there's a lot of automations that can happen. There's, you know, bill pay, auto bill pay, and all those things. There's things that can be automated. Something like, uh, well, even grocery shopping, actually, there's ways to automate that as well. But, you know, actually preparing the meals, like that's something that you wouldn't, but you could optimize the way you do it. So it's not, the goal is not to optimize or to outsource everything. I want to be clear about that. It's really just to pare it down and, and Bring that awareness so that you can do it better and hopefully get it done by something else or some other thing. Okay. Um, right. Somebody told me um, starting a company, you become the CEO, which is more like chief everything officer. And so um, I've really fallen into this role where, you know, there's no such thing as consistency in life. I was at Startup Weekend this weekend. I'm going to a conference later on Wednesday. I'm in this workshop today. There's just no such thing as a normal day. And a lot of what I do with being the face of the company is being at events and happy hours, and it's impossible to keep a normal schedule. Um, but we're also really budget constrained. So when you can't outsource some of the stuff, do you have any suggestions mm. with the budget constraints? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so the automations, a lot of the automations nowadays are free. And as I said, sometimes you can automate it completely. And if there's anything left over, that's when we look at outsourcing. So unfortunately, uh, honestly, a lot of outsourcing is really, really cheap nowadays. But that's why there is that three-step process, because simply optimizing it yourself and, and giving yourself a little bit of structure, especially in an inconsistent world, uh, which I completely understand, is 
is when you can start to do these things better. And, and I can't drive this point home enough. Is it's about that awareness, because especially with what you're talking about, where there's so many different things going on, you're just kind of switching hats all day long, it sounds like. So if you can start to be aware of the way that you're doing things, then you can do them better. It's just that it's, just, it's and it also, we have this sort of natural need to have a little bit of control over our lives, um, which is probably one of the reasons that people don't outsource things, unfortunately. But that also gives you that, that kind of benefit to it as well. So I talked about the essential versus the optional, the manual of you. These things allow you to identify the information that's coming at you. You know, almost like it's, it's, it's a barrage. So if you can identify it, process it, and deal with it better, then that already is sort of the biggest step. Ari, we have a question from the chat. Speaking of processing, mm -hmm. uh, Natalie123 wants to know how you process the information from rescue time to then mm -hmm. optimize your hours going forward. Because as another chatter noted, knowing that you're wasting time and even in what specific ways that is happening doesn't necessarily translate directly into doing it less. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's a very <laughs> excellent point. People are always complaining, like, oh, they don't want to be spending too much time on Facebook, or there's, there's, um, there's all these distractions. And they, they, but the truth is that you wouldn't be doing them unless you kind of wanted to. You wouldn't have been researching mid-century Singapore you know, unless it had interested you, right? So <laughs> there's nothing that says that we can't do these things that we want to do. The point is to realize that there are better times to do things and better times to do other things. So one of the nice benefits of this self-awareness thing is that we start to learn timing. So there are better times for you to do certain things and better times for you to do other things. It's just the way it is, depending on who you are. And for example, I know that I can only do sort of creative writing after 9 o'clock at night. It's just something I've learned. That may have to do with you know the kids are asleep and sort of the nights went wound down. But I can't write very well during the day. And it's not a distraction thing, because I've, I've been able to isolate myself. It's just I, I'm not in that mode. So what that means is that if at 11 o'clock in the morning I find myself with a free hour somehow and um, I, have to, uh, I have to write a blog post, that's not the time to do it. It's like, oh, great, I have a free hour and i got to do this. Great, I can get this done. It's not going to work because all that's going to happen is I'm going to end up on Facebook and I'm going to end up doing other things and I'll end up you know, spending 20 minutes making a cup of coffee because I'm just not in the mode to do that. So, that's what you learn, is if you find that, oh, you're spending you know, all this time on Facebook, it's like, well, there actually may be a good time for you to do the Facebook stuff so you can sort of get it out of your system. I'm not the kind of person who's going to tell you, like, oh, you have to cut out social media. And one of the things that Rescue Time does that it can do is it can block out certain sites for you for a certain amount of time. It's called focus time. Um, and it'll, you know, for the next 40 minutes, like, don't let me look at Facebook. It's like, well, what are we, three? Like, it's, it's okay if you, and, and a lot of people use it for legitimate business purposes now. And if you end up finding an article that someone posted that's really interesting, that's good for you. That's good for your brain. You know, you shouldn't feel bad about that. But the point is that you should realize that there are times that you need to be able to do these things. And one of the things that, that Rescue Time will be able to show you is that, hey, look, you're spending, you know, uh, an hour throughout the day on Facebook and, uh, you really wanted to be like dealing with your email. But then you see that because of rescue time, 80% of your emails are coming in in this like hour and a half period, which is not uncommon, by the way. So then it's OK. Well, then that hour and a half, I'm just going to be focusing on email. Or, oh, that would be a little much, I think. But 
you can say this is going to be the email time and it's okay if I spend this little time doing Facebook because at the end of the day I'm going to get the same amount of work done, but I'm going to feel better about it. It's, it sounds like, I mean, we hear this step often that you have to be aware of what's going on before you can do anything at all to address it. And just being aware of what your current habits are by the journaling. And then you mentioned the gratitude earlier. Can you can you mention that tool again, the, sure. the gratitude journal really Well, quick? so it's, it's not technically a gratitude journal. Okay. I've done this.com. But you end up, if you sort of put in that positive light, it ends up being something of a gratitude journal because you can be happy about the things that you got done that day. A, a true gratitude journal really is, you know, you're writing something that you're grateful for, um, whether it's your family or something that you got done or, or, you know, simply like a flower that you saw on your way to work. Uh, but all of these things come back to us to, to help us then become more productive individuals because we're happier with the things that we're doing. So, uh, I done this ends up being that kind of thing. It's funny for me because I've been using it for well over a year now. A lot of the milestones that it's bringing back to me include things that my first son did, who is 23 months now. So it would be like, oh, you you know, I finished this project and Ben walked today. You know, so it's like, it just makes you happy to see that stuff and to to sort of remember because it's it's very easy to just sort of kind of move through life and not remember these things at all. So just getting back though, um, Richie actually wants to know, can you give another example or an example of something that you've decided to remove after you've analyzed your data? So to remove? Yeah. Paying parking <laughs> tickets? <laughs> okay. Um, so, uh, especially since we're in San Francisco, I'm sure people have gotten parking tickets. Oh yeah. So. Um, I had a uh, I had a pickup truck for a long well I had a commercial vehicle for a long time in New York City because I was in the construction or I mean I am technically in the construction business still I'm a real estate developer as well so uh, in New York City you can uh, park a commercial vehicle on the street for a certain amount of time because you're technically loading and unloading but the police still give you tickets because they can and and it's simply a matter of writing a letter and saying you're a commercial vehicle and I was delivering such and such or whatever. So I was getting tickets almost every day, uh, and it was at least a 15-minute process every time to deal with that, 15, 20 minutes sometimes to get it and write the letter and, and all this stuff. And, and I started to realize that there was a pattern there. So once I started to sort of break that down, I was like, okay, well, here's the ticket. So then I have to write a letter. I have to see what I was actually doing at the time that was commercial. I have to pull the receipt or the delivery invoice or whatever it was that correlated to that activity at that time, put it all together, copy it, sign it put it in the envelope, send it off. So uh, that was a 47-step process the first time I created it. And it was like, ah, 47 steps. And, you know, so you immediately started to break that down. And it was something I was doing myself at the time because this was a few years ago. This was, it's so funny how quickly technology sort of adapts. But um, three years ago, like, I couldn't have done a lot of the things that I now do or that any of you would like to do because of the way that cloud computing and all sorts of things have sort of caught up. But, so 47 steps. And I, I was able to optimize that a little bit and, and you know, create a template letter and an, and an invoice that sort of, you know, then I had to put in the specific information. But then there were some automations because the New York City Department of Finance puts the tickets online, which I didn't realize. And you can get them as a PDF, which sort of changed the whole game for me. Uh, and then going further and further through that, it became an automated process completely and then an outsourced process to some extent. There are services that allow you to send PDFs through the mail, so I didn't even have to do that. So I got to the point where if I got a ticket on my car, I could just tear it up. <laughs> and then uh, the tickets were then dealt with by 
processes and uh, software and people. So that's a big one, and that was a really big hassle, and uh, it was a legitimate way to deal with the tickets, and the information was all legitimate, but it was just simply something that I didn't have to do. And if you think about it, something like that, it, it, I'm not sure how it is in San Francisco, but in New York City, like tickets are a big thing, and there are people dedicate hours of their bookkeeper's time to just dealing with parking tickets. It's such an incredible inefficiency that uh, just to be able to get that out of my life was, was pretty huge. So that, that's a good example, which I think probably affects a lot of people. Yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, we have a question oh, right yeah, here Edwin. from Edwin. I just want to go back to the, I guess, the principle of the essential and optional, uh, yeah. optional um, that that apply only to email? Or? No, 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 not at all. Um, it, it applies to everything, people that you want to talk to. <laughs> I mean, there are, there's everything in your life can be broken down, I think, into an essential and an optional, uh, whether it's shopping or whether it's dealing with different people. Um, if you're on social media, you know, there's going to be you know, all the people that want to talk to you or interact with you, but do you really need to interact? And, and not that you know, some of them aren't worthy of your time, but if you're sort of doing triage, then there's not a way to be able to deal with all those things. So it really does apply to everything. Uh, mail that comes in, um, projects that we have to do, and then there's the things that we want to do, as I said, so that's the optional. So it's, it's an important mindset. You know, people talk about the urgent and the priorities and all oh, those right, things, yeah. but uh, urgent. I was, but, I was just going to ask you about that. Do you have like a specific format on how to like break that down, like the urgent and important and what not important? Or yes, well, so we're, we're actually, in the next segment, we're going to talk about timing more, which is what I sort of talk about, which is that you don't necessarily need to prioritize. It's more about working on your timing because something may be more important, but it doesn't mean that it should be done first, <laughs> honestly, because it might not be the best time for you to do it. So ideally, you can get into a situation where you can become reactionary and not because you have the time, because you have the tools at your disposal with which to deal with the situation that might be coming up. So the essential versus optional thing is, honestly, it's a mindset about how you sort of mentally screen things that come at you, whether it's email or, or anything, honestly. So, uh, somebody talking to you about something, something that you, you want to read, blog posts, uh, I mean, it really does apply to anything. Uh, so if you can get into that, that thought process of how am I going to sort of categorize this? And again, it's, it's really not about figuring out what it is right away. It's about knowing how you're going to deal with it and sort of having those pathways in place. Yeah. I have a question about um, how you deal with uh, unexpected things that come up or really time-sensitive things that pop up, like an uh, email saying that this great opportunity is available for you, but you have you know, 20 minutes to respond or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> is, it, is it like a bomb threat? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, OK, so does that actually come up? Um, not quite like that, but okay. it's maybe extreme example. So, well, as I just said, so if you can clear your plate, first of all, and you give yourself, and, and again, this is not about, I, I don't want you to have nothing to do all day. That's not the goal of this. I don't want you to be like, oh, I got my work done in five minutes today, and now I can just chill. Like, that's not what it's about. Um, however, it is about having those systems in place, and again, it's the pathway. So, if you get that email in saying you have to do whatever it is, mm -hmm. ideally, even if you don't have a specific answer to that, you should have methods in place of how I deal with urgent emails and whether it is immediately forwarding it to a member of your team or an assistant or if somebody, for example, if somebody needs a document. Actually, here, I'll give you a really good example. So one of my processes is for 
dealing with people sending uh, emails through my contact form on my website. So I have a, a, note, or a note, the shared notepad thing that shows possible answers to questions that people might ask. And you can think of it as like a personal frequently asked questions kind of thing. And if you just you know, stop and, and have no other input, you probably could think of at least a couple of the things that people kind of ask you on a regular basis. And most people have that experience where they get an email for the fifth time, and they're like, gosh, I really should like, you know, come up with a template for this. The problem with those kinds of things is that they, they, they become too general in a lot of ways. And you want to answer everybody's question, but then you end up answering nobody's question. So if you, at the very basic level, if you come up with those sort of canned responses in your head, uh, and actually in Gmail there's a plugin or a uh, lab feature called canned responses that gives you those templates. And I'm sorry to keep using email as an example because this does apply to everything, but uh, it's just it's a really clear-cut one that everyone sort of relates to. So if you can start to think about, it's not like, oh, what do I do if this comes in? It's really about, these are the options at my disposal if something like this happens, and then I can just pick one, basically. Spending your day for like the unexpected stuff. Like, do you have like a certain like <laughs> I plan for the unexpected un unoccupied time where it's like you know what I'm saying? Per, uh, quite honestly, at this point in my life, I basically everything is about dealing with the unexpected. Mm -hmm. uh, so I try to make it so that the stuff that is more structured that I have to do has a very specific place, and then essentially all day long I'm dealing with reacting to reacting to stuff, which is honestly very exciting. It's one of the reasons that I do check my email 30 times a day, because I like it. Because I know that if I'm looking in my inbox and there's something there, it's going to be something that is relevant, or something that is interesting, or something that I have to do something about. So the more and more that you filter away the, junk is not the right word, but the more and more that you filter away the non-essential, the optional stuff, then you sort of end up with this, the cream of the crop that it's like you just can't wait to dive into it. So it makes it so that, the unexpected becomes very exciting because you actually can deal with it properly, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Can you get to the point where you spend too much time working on the unexpected that you don't have time to work on your projects that you've planned to work on? Uh, not really. You shouldn't because what that means then is that the pro well, so okay, if you come to something unexpected and it ends up pushing back something that you had planned you should be at the point where you're able to move the planned thing to another time that you can deal with it effectively because you know that about yourself. So, you know, it, for instance, if I decide that 9 o'clock I'm going to write a blog post tonight, but 8.50 something comes up that's really big, I know that I can write it, you know, tomorrow at 9 o'clock, for instance, um, because you, you sort of learn those aspects of the way that you, that you work. But more importantly, as I said, being able to react effectively to the unexpected. For instance, you shouldn't get an unexpected thing that's like, write 20,000 words right now. You know, hopefully, okay. I don't know what business you're in, if that's the case. But the really big things either can be broken down effectively, and then you can work on one and then plan out. So the, the unexpected actually can become planned in a way and can have some structure to it. Uh, or you can really realize that it's not as urgent as it necessarily had to be. That's another thing, too, is that what's urgent to one person right. is not often urgent to another person. So people have uh, to have that perspective on it sometimes. Right. 
That, that was actually uh, one of my follow questions is um, when you work alone um, versus working with a team, feels like working with a team, you've got other people holding you accountable, you've got deadlines that you're working on collaboratively um, versus working alone when you kind of set maybe arbitrary deadlines. Do you have any suggestions on or tools that you know of that help increase a collaborative or, you know, especially for an extrovert, finding ways to find other people to kind of challenge you? Yeah, get a coach. Get a coach. <laughs> yeah. um, the uh, I done this has actually worked really effectively for me for that uh, because I, I for me I'm I'm well actually that's not fair it's not fair to say I'm the only one holding me accountable everybody's accountable to somebody whether it's a boss or another team member or your family uh, or just that voice in your head that kind of pushes you to get things done so it's sort of one of the things is recognizing that but something like I done this is extremely effective at that because you have to write down what you got done today. And if you didn't get anything done today, you might want to spend the next couple, you know, 20 minutes or 30 minutes getting something done so that you can write it down and it sort of pushes you. But simply keeping that habit of writing it every day, even though it may have nothing to do with your work, but you're you're sticking with that thing every day where you're talking about what you got done today. It's pretty effective. I can actually relate to that because yesterday I didn't get anything done. So at 6 o'clock, get the email. I'm like, OK, I should do something for the next hour. At least I can put something down. Yeah, and that's true. And, and even if that thing is you know, reading 20 pages of a book that you've been meaning to read, like there, there are those things that have that enrichment quality to them. So that's one of the things, by the way, with I done this, is that you can respond to it, and you can respond to it again later if you want to add something to it. So it's, it's not that one chance. And it's true, you know, on a Sunday, it's like, what I wrote yesterday was that I, I flew into San Francisco and I had a pre-production meeting. That's what I got done yesterday and I, I was very happy with that. There's a whole conversation going on about gratitude and yeah. you know the value of a gratitude journal and also bringing to light maybe some aspects of ourselves that we want to change. Um, but actually it's Eliaka uh, uh, says, I think we need to find a balance between feeling grateful and acknowledging reality. But Robin N says, I find being grateful keeps me positive and people want to work with positive people and positivity makes me more productive. So it sounds like there's a balance um, but what, what's your thought on that? Yeah, so that's a, that's a very good one. It, it's really easy to be, tell people like, oh, be grateful, be grateful, you know. And, and it's, a lot of people have a lot of really tough stuff going on in their lives. And whether it's simple responsibilities or chronic illnesses or things that it, it's hard to be like, oh, yeah, great, okay, I'll be grateful. But the truth is, is that the negative stuff tends to make us very closed, which makes sense. And it's hard to get things done. It's hard to uh, progress if you're very closed. Being positive and being grateful sort of automatically makes you a little bit more open. It, it just does. And once you, I, I hate to put it in these terms because it's, it's not concrete enough, but it, you know, if you put the positive energy out there, then things can come back to you. you know, it, it, it's very easy to just sort of shut down and, and, and just, the, one of the terms that I hate, and I know this is very popular in Silicon Valley right now, is head down. I don't know why, when it became a cool thing for people to be head down in their work and not do anything else and not think about anything else. And is that yeah. okay? Familiar, yeah. I uh, it really bothers me because that's not a complete person. You know, even if you're a one-person startup, you should not be head down. Okay, because you're just going to suffer and your company's going to suffer. Like you need to be able to have these things going on in your life. You need to be able to to spend 15 minutes reading about Singapore. I'm sorry to keep using you as an example, Mark. Uh, and to be able to expand yourself 
and then realize that there's these other things that are going on and that one of the things that gratitude does is it makes you realize that you're not the center of the world <laughs> uh, because there's something else that's giving you, grat you know, something for you to be grateful for. And that perspective change is very important for kind of seeing the landscape and making it so that you can actually get more done. I'd love to toss you a question from Sam, Sam Cox, who's asking, um, you mentioned coming to understand your personal timing, such as when you're most productive at doing certain things. Do you also pay attention to how much time you can spend uh, being effective at doing one thing? Yes, it is important to sort of get that time because it actually is sort of the same question. Because if you realize that if you're doing something at a particular time and it takes you an hour to do it, and you do it at another time and it takes you a half an hour to do it, it may not. It may be because the actual time that you did it was not the right time. So it's kind of the same question, honestly. Uh, if you're asking how do you do something the most effectively, that could mean doing it in the less time, and that will really speak to when you end up getting it done. Wonderful. Thank you. So, all right. If there's no more questions for this segment, that's all I have. Oh my. Well, we actually do have more questions. Oh, bring it on. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so um, Susan E. wants to know, where I run into issues is figuring out how to automate certain things. For example, I have studio management software that would let me put my inquiries directly into the software, but I have to set it up, and that takes... Um, it talks with the form on the website. Anyway, it sounds like it's really complicated, and that's why they're never using it. What's your advice for automating the things that take too much time to figure out? So there's obviously going to be cases where it's going to be nearly impossible, and it's going to be a challenge. But the truth is that you don't have to, don't worry necessarily about the automating. It, a lot of cases where someone says something like that, they may not have gone through the first step of optimizing. <laughs> so I would ask Susan if she actually, if you had gone through ever and really listed out the steps required to do those things, because just writing it down or recording it, as we talked about before, you may actually begin to see the places where you're being inefficient. And then you may be able to optimize or um, automate it easier, but you also may see that the automation is not as necessary. So that's, I, I'm very, very, I'm a big stickler for that, going through that process of the optimize, automate, and outsource in everything that you do, whether it's a physical problem or a, a business problem, because that order sort of keeps you honest. Because if you're just like, oh, well, this software helps you automate this, it's like, but you haven't figured out how to make it more efficient first. So I would start there, um, and then otherwise, I'm. With, uh, if that's a specific software question, I'm happy to have this discussion on Twitter later. Is that how we're supposed to do this? Oh, if someone yeah. wants to? Yeah, oh, I'm yeah. happy to talk to you, Susan, directly <laughs> about that uh, and the specific software that you're using. OK, fantastic. Studio audience here, students. Yeah, our um, hands are going up everywhere. So <laughs> it sounds like you kind of have like a set structure, sort of. Um, well, I don't know. So, like, I'm a student, first of all. So, I, like, there's of course there's classes, right? And then there's things that other obligations you have to do, and then you have to set a time for homework. And of course, as students, we never like really do homework on the times we set ourselves to do. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, um, I would just kind of want, and like, we never. And you mentioned it before too. Like, um, usually the time that we think we'll get it done, it usually ends up not happening because um, we have like a bunch of distractions or anything. Um, and we don't just don't, I mean, a lot of people have focus in like just trying to get that one task done. <laughs> so I was wondering, do you have any like tips or suggestions? For getting the one thing done, you mean? Or for uh, tackling one thing after another. And just... But it is about that timing because 
one of the problems, especially as a student, and I've had this had this problem. Um, <laughs> my GPA was pretty low, but uh, <laughs> it's really easy to try to do the same thing over and over without getting different results. You know, it's like, oh well, I have class these hours, so I'm just going to do homework after, and hopefully I'll do better today. And it really doesn't work that way. That's one of those problems. Uh, even planning your class schedule it can be essential to how you actually learn more effectively. I, uh, I'm very unfortunately, when my freshman year, I had to take a French class at 9 a.m. every morning, and it was in a basement of a of a fairly warm building. So I fell asleep every single class, and I it was terrible. It was really embarrassing. Um, so it's and it wasn't because I wasn't sleeping enough. It just was not the right time for me to be in a basement with the heat on learning French. So uh, you really do have to learn those things about yourself. And then it's, it's not just like, oh, do this, then do this, and this. Because it, it honestly may be like, do this, then do something completely different, and then do the last thing that I actually had to do. And, and it, it gets that specific when you start to learn that there are just those better times to do things. Kelly. I was going to go back. I think her name was Susan, about the automating of her system and yeah, the whatnot. Software. The software. And I've, I think this is where the awareness of where you're most effective during the day, because I myself have had things along those same lines that she did. And it was overwhelming, and the steps seemed confusing. And then I just kept putting it off. And then I go back to it, and I'm like, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was. And think of all the time I could have saved had I implemented it sooner versus being, uh, you know, afraid of all the, going through all those steps and trying to sort it out. So it, sometimes right. it does seem much more overwhelming and confusing than others. So well, and I'm, and I'm glad you said that because it's a skill. This stuff is a skill that we all have to sort of hone. And it's something that, it's one of those things that I think it's fortunate that you can never master. You know, it's like I, I am constantly trying to get better at this stuff every day in everything that I'm doing. So. It may be challenging to, in, the, in the beginning, and it's absolutely true that once you get into it, you may decide that it's actually not as bad as you thought. But going through that is a skill that will make you better, not only at that, but everything else that you do. Because everything is a process in, in, in these ways. So if you begin to learn not only how to deal with it better, but the tools that are at your disposal. And oh, I actually used this on this project, so maybe I can use it for this, even if I have to change it a little bit. It's, it's, it'll just make you more effective. You're talking about, are you talking about like your energy scene when you have like the most energy and kind of that's how you kind of pick your times? Because I've kind of been noticing about like, usually my, I have a lot of energy around 10 and then around five and then usually again like at 11 o'clock at night and then three <laughs> in the morning if I shouldn't be up that late, but sometimes it's like I'm ready to do whatever it takes. Ready to go. So I don't know, I'm just wondering when it comes to timing, how do you figure out what is good when it just by how you feel or? No, because some, some tasks don't, do better when you have more energy, honestly. Okay. Uh, in fact, there's plenty of research to show that we're more creative when we're more tired or drunk, but that's a little hard to, <laughs> that's, a little, that's a little hard to, uh, to sort of get that on paper. Uh, it's all about less inhibition. But it's true, like if, you know, if you're in like Excel mode, and, you're, and not that you are necessarily, but if you're in like Excel, like forecasting mode, it's really hard to then finish, be like, okay, I'm done with this spreadsheet, like time to write something really creative, like it's hard. You know, so it, just because there are high energy points, actually, it, it really, we, it, it's really fascinating when you sort of get into it that it's not just about like high energy versus low energy. It's not just about being a night owl versus a morning person. Like it goes way beyond that. So you'll 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 start to see that there are better times, that uh, those valleys can be good times for things too. Great. Well, um, Ari, actually, I want you just to make one final statement. Yes. I want to know 
Why are we taking our time back? Why? What, what drives us to be more yeah. productive? You know, so it is really important. It's not simply a matter of passion. It's really important to sort of figure out, you know, at the very beginning we asked, what is your biggest productivity challenge? Like, what is it that drives you to be more productive and to be more effective? You know, in my case, it was overcoming a chronic illness and now having a family, which is every decision and everything I do basically is a matter of how much time I have to be away from my family. That's really what I think about. So uh, you have to really think about what that is that's driving you, and that will sort of help direct the way that you figure out how to deal with these different challenges. Hey, that was an awesome episode. But before you bounce, just I got three quick thoughts. First, thank you for being in this community. It gives me so much juice. I can't even tell you so much juice that when I hit publish and this show goes out into the ether, that there's an amazing community of like-minded people just like you consuming and sharing the show. So thank you. Second, it would be huge. It would mean the world to me if you left a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Now, we're regularly featured at the top slot there on Apple's podcast page and others in Spotify, etc. And that's because of your reviews. So if you've ever wanted to uh, lend a hand or you got some value from me in the past and you want to pay it forward, that would be amazing. And then lastly, it would also mean the world to me if you shared the content that you get here. Whether it's a screenshot or a photo of where you're listening, anything via Instagram stories um, or any other social feeds, tagging me and the guest. Now, I repost this content and your comments all the time, so I would love to share your shoutouts in my feed too. Um, not only do these shoutouts uh, are, are they good for you and me, but they also help us book amazing guests because they see the reach that you cultivate. This is a way for you to help contribute to the show. So, again, I want to say thanks. I'm just at Chase Jarvis. You can use at Creative Live as well, and the guests are easy to track down because they are, well, they're usually quite well-known people. Um, but again, thank you so much for listening. I'm looking forward to being in your ears again, hopefully tomorrow.